So yesterday we began the practice with the emphasis upon developing this quality of inner collectedness, uh, present moment, recollection, and allowing the mindfulness of breathing to really be the anchor, almost the reminder for that. And it's also, of course, the first introduction to this wider area of contemplation of mindfulness of the body, an area of contemplation not only highly emphasized in uh, eight-week programs in developing mindfulness, but clearly the predominant part, the major part of the Satipatthana discourse. And it's not just about watching the body, it's also about what we learn through being within the body, the qualities of insight that are developed. And of course the Buddha went so far as to say that everything we need to learn will be learned within the length of this body. And this evening in the Dharma talk, Chris will explore much more this the pivotal role that mindfulness of the body occupies. The discourse begins with the encouragement to know the body as the body. It's a refrain that continues through all the ways of establishing mindfulness, to know the body as the body. So the discourse of the contemplation is really beginning from this very specific standpoint of non-identification. Not my body, not my experience of the body, but the body as the body. This is, in a way, this sounds very simple until you get ill or you have a pain or you look in the mirror and see your mother looking back. Then it's not so simple, is it? Non-identification sounds great as long as nothing's happening in the body. The moment something's happening, we really feel, don't we, the surge of identification, the surge of selfing, my body. And what is happening in the body is happening to me. This is who I am. So although this is actually, you know, it's just kind of thrown in there, this one line, to know the body as the body. Oh, sure, why not? (laughs) Except to know that, we have to swim through all of these layers of aversion, reactivity, the way we think it should be, our fears, our anxieties, our self-images, to get to that place of knowing the body as the body. But this is clearly a very applied practice. You know, when you see your attention departing from mindfulness of breathing, you know, generally it's going to body experience or to psychological, emotional experience. (coughs) This is where we practice knowing the body as the body knowing what it is to stay close to what is actually being experienced, and when we've departed into this much more complex world of identification. 
And identification is manifested through fear, through aversion, through resistance, through wanting. You know, we have to really understand in terms of Buddhist psychology that identification tends to be part of a continuum. And prior to identification, we generally see those movements of either wanting something or not wanting it, of craving or aversion. And when that magnifies, we have what we call the I am, the shaping of me in that moment. So we learn in the practice to return just to what is taking place. And knowing that experience as it is, not as something solid, as John mentioned last night, you know, the whole textual languaging is really an inclining towards an understanding of process, body as process. Ah, this this sensation that's going on or this body experience that's going on that I label my knee or my back, it's actually a changing process. Sensations coming together, ebbing, magnifying, shifting, moving. We learn to stay close to that. We learn to expand the attention beyond that specific area of experience into the places where it begins to fade and the body experience is quite different. Ah, here is my aching knee. It's not the totality or the entirety of my experience. I actually expand my attention beyond it. Actually, I see, oh, here is a different body experience coexisting. I often feel this practice is about learning the art of peaceful coexistence. In. that yes, here is this pain, oh, here is this sense of ease. One does not deny the other. It's a kind of peaceful coexistence. So non-identification is not just a concept, it is actually a skill we develop, it's a capacity we develop through practice. Within the body we learn about uh, the pivotal role that intention plays. And, you know, many of you who've done, for example, eight-week programs, you, you know how this is developed, that, you know, it's an intentional attention to be with what is going on. It's an intentional attention to rest within the body, to move towards embodiment. This is very much a sort of antidote to the more habitual, impulsive patterns. And much of mindfulness is actually moving from this world of impulse to intentionality, from habit to responsiveness. So within the contemplation of the body, we're learning about sustaining intention. You know, we often have episodic intention, don't we? Oh, there's an intention. No, it's disappeared, you know. Uh, it was another intention. And we, we see that we're constantly setting those intentions and that training in living not only within the body in an intentional way, but living our lives in an intentional way. We learn something about equanimity within the body, about being equally near the whole spectrum of sensations that arise, that non-preferential awareness, making room for the pleasant, making room for the unpleasant, and that willingness to stand equally close to all experience, rather than our lives being governed you know, by the pursuit of the pleasant and the avoidance of the unpleasant.
we learn something in the body about the difference between actuality and narrative. This is a very major lesson for our life. The actuality of what's being experienced and our narrative about it. We learn actually to, to actually distinguish between those two. It's actually very liberating. Narratives tend to be very closed books. Actuality allows for responsiveness. One of the primary lessons we learn in the body is to sever the link between the, the feeling tone of, of experience, the pleasant and the un- unpleasant, and the underlying tendencies of aversion and craving. We learn that actually we can actually hold both the pleasant and the unpleasant and not move so immediately into that world of wanting and not wanting. It is a training also in in releasing. I mean, I'm not very um, infatuated with the phrase letting go. I I know it's very popular, but I also wonder if anybody's ever been very successful in (laughs) commanding themselves to let go of anything. Um, Jen, it sounds like a good idea in practice. It really doesn't work. But what we're actually doing is cultivating the conditions that allow for releasing allow for relinquishing. So every time we return to the body, of course, we are returning from somewhere, aren't we? We're returning from a story, we're returning from a thought pattern, we're returning from a fantasy, you know, we're returning from a construction, and just following through and that intention is really cultivating the inner conditions that allow the unbinding, allow the relinquishing of that sense of being so caught only in our, our narrative, our, our reactions about what is going on. We learn a lot, I think, through contemplating the body about this, this interrelated process of mind and body. You know, we make such an artificial separation between mind and body or heart and body, you know, as if they're sort of these uh, separated experiences. We start to actually fear, sense in the body, the somatic experience of mental states and moods, you know. Oh, the body of agitation. Oh, the body of dullness. Oh, the body of aversion. Oh, you know, you start to see it and you start to see the the feedback loops that get set up, you know, if you even take dullness as an example, you know, you feel the mind begin to fog, it's sending messages to the body. The body starts to collapse and sink. That very collapsing and sinking is again sending back messages back to the mood, to the mind state, saying, you know, reinforcing it, supporting it. So it gets into these closed feedback loops. You see it with agitation. You know, if the mind is agitated and behaviorally the body starts to get agitated and busy, it's constantly feeding back into that mood. So it, it is why, you know, why we emphasize, for example, having an intentional posture in the sittings. Because even though the mind state may feel foggy or might feel agitated, the very stillness, the very calmness, the very uprightness of the body is starting to send messages back to the mood, inviting almost the mood to respond to that embodied posture. 
beginning to sense moods, emotions, mind states within the body becomes a far more accessible way of beginning to explore them. And what does the body of sadness feel like? What does the body of agitation feel like? This is a far more accessible area of investigation rather than trying to unpack all the thoughts or stories that are feeding that. The body is always a present moment recollection. It's always a present moment experience. You know, we do not have last year's migraine in this moment. You know, we do not have next year's heart attack in this moment. We have what is experienced right now. So it's in that service of establishing that present moment recollection that we learn to come back. I think there is also a bigger piece here, and I hope I'm not ripping off Chris's talk from this evening. Um, you know, I, I think it raises a big question, you know, that mindfulness is, is not, a tech, not a technique. You know, mindfulness is a way of being present in this life in this moment. And I think there is the, the kind of core feature of mindfulness in my mind is that it is an embodied way of being. It's an embodied way of being. It is, it is integrating, you know, through mindfulness of the body, we are learning to integrate body, mind, and present moment. It has this unifying factor that allows mindfulness to be an embodied translated way of being in this world and in this moment. It's not easy, you know, we're so accustomed to the habit of being disembodied, kind of the habit of being sort of somewhat dissociated, making these divisions between mind, heart and body. So it's, it's not an easy training, it's not an easy learning, but of course it is a learning of the moment. It is a learning of the moment. You know, you, you find it's sometimes quite shocking to find, you know, I can go a whole hour completely forgetting that the body's there. Isn't that amazing? Still going through life, you know, and you see this both in the sitting and in the walking. The thing about meditation practice is it's really easy to look good. I find it's really easy to look good, you know. I sit here and look like a Buddha. You know, I walk, I look like the most mindful person in the world. It's really easy to look good, which is great. You know, that's fantastic. But we all know in our own experience that it's possible to go through an entire sitting, an entire walking with the body completely forgotten. You know, we've just, it's just gone, you know, but it's serving its purpose. You know, it's just going through the, the, the motions, you know. And it's such a big leap to undo that habit and to actually feel the aliveness of the body to sense that place of resting, that place of connection. And it's a training. I would really emphasize that. You know, I think you come in a retreat and you really begin to sense how this is a training, it's a cultivation. You know, the Buddha once said, I can think of no one thing that does so much harm as an untrained mind. But that once understood, I can think of no one thing that is a greater friend than a well-trained mind. And we're not talking about training here like boot camp, you know, or, you know, some sort of mechanical learning. 
we're, we're learning to develop these qualities of wakefulness within the body. And when there is wakefulness within the body, there is wakefulness within all things. And I would encourage you to explore that today. Now, in the actual practice itself, we, we stay with our primary anchors, you know, in the sitting, the body breathing. And being aware it is the body breathing. The breathing is not an abstracted event. It is the body breathing. And we're learning to actually settle within that. It's our primary anchor. In the walking, we have the primary anchor of the footfall or, or the whole body and movement. We have our primary anchors. And then coming back to those primary anchors, not, not in a hasty, not in a dismissive way, but training our capacity for a present moment recollection, which is a present moment wakefulness. It's a present moment aliveness. It's not some sort of enforcement or punitive. This is a place of happiness. It is a place of joy to have that present moment wakefulness. So again, just establishing an intentional posture. And having a very felt sense of the body of this moment. Knowing the body as the body. A felt sense of your body touching the ground, the cushion, the chair. Those pressure points, the sensations that are present Simple knowing. Simple sensations in your hands, touching your legs or each other. Feeling the aliveness of the body in those places. Sensation of the air in your clothing, touching the skin, sensing how you know that, how you experience that. Sensing the inner landscape of sensation, 
parts of your body that are speaking to you in this moment, parts of your body that feel more muted, Sensing the uprightness of your back and neck. Feeling that sense of embodied wakefulness, embodied alertness. Sensing the body breathing from within, just mindful of the process of breathing, the sensation of breathing. Be mindful of the moments when your attention abstracts itself from the body experience to a thought, an image. And in that same calm, simple knowing, being able to quite intentionally make the transition back to knowing the body is the body, breathing as the breathing.
Sensing if there's a body of dullness or a body of agitation. Establishing a body of wakefulness.
As we practice bringing mindful awareness to the presence and working of the hindrance factors within our experience, we can see just how easy it is to be governed by them. Just how easy it is, as Christina was saying, for intention to be hijacked by mood or impulse. You know, without mindfulness, a mood, a hindrance factor can write the story, or a combination of hindrance factors can write the story of a sitting or walking period, a morning, a day, or even longer. You know? uh, and, uh, you know, those of you who are therapists and psychologists and mindfulness teachers will, will really know you know, that many of the clients you're working with, uh, their lives have become dominated by moods, you know, and the, the difficulties of moods. And, you know, we may well know that in our own experience too, just how easy it is for, when, when the hindrance factors become very uh, active and interactive, it's very easy for them to, to take over. They have great force. And it's very useful to practice seeing moods as combinations of hindrance factors, to bring that lens to them. And, you know, a retreat is such a great time to 
to practice doing that. And we can see how, you know, in a walking period, we may get up from the hall with the intention to go to our walking path and do the practice. And then we pass the urn and the tea station. And oops, <laughs> you know. Or, or we have a, a, a moment of feeling some fatigue. And, you know, within moments, we're, we're back in our room lying down. Or we just have restlessness and we can't find the right walking path, you know. Um, and, and it's so helpful. The retreat is such a precious opportunity to practice bringing awareness to these hindrance factors and practicing not being governed by them. You know, so that we let our intentions, rather than our moods or impulses, write the story. And there's a certain way in which, you know, a, a retreat invites us to practice sort of surrendering to the form, the form of sitting and walking practice. And just to receive the gift of that, not having to make multiple decisions about what am I going to do next, you know. Uh, and to trust this form, really to trust this form as, as, a, as an ancient and powerful way of, of carrying the mind into greater levels of, of waking up and into greater levels of freedom. You know, so really, you know, this, this day, really letting the rhythm of sitting and walking practice carry you. Really practicing continuity between sitting and walking so that the end of the sitting, the walking practice begins and really, you know, going with the intention of that, the intention to feel the body. How does it feel to stand? How does it feel to walk? How does it feel to stop at the end of the path? How does it feel to turn? So really letting, you know, in the, in the dialogue between mood and intention, see what it's like to prioritize intention, <laughs> you know, and feel the freedom that brings, you know, the freedom from mood, <laughs> the freedom from being governed. Keeping also this sense of play, this sense of experimenting. You know? How does it feel to walk really slowly? What pace of walking or what placing of attention in the body really helps to keep this alive, as Christina was saying, really helps to highlight the aliveness of embodiment in this step. <laughs> the mind likes to discover things. Do you notice when, when there's a sense of, oh, I'm discovering things, actually the, the attention engages itself, you know, and there's so much to discover in a single walking period, in a single movement along the path, in a single step. When we let our attention get more subtle, get more sensitive. What a mysterious thing it is to walk, you know. Just how micro-movements, how many micro-movements are involved in keeping us upright, in taking a step. So really let, um, you know, really invite you to let the mind tune to a more subtle level of experience, of embodied experience. And really get interested in, the, in, 
in the process of doing this practice. So there's a, uh, a time to explore that right now. And also there are three groups meeting uh, right now. So maybe it would be helpful just to let those who are in the groups uh, leave first so that um, we can make best use of the group time. But really wish you an enjoyable time of exploring how it is to stand and walk. Yeah, and, and if you are in a group, please could you come, come promptly to your room? Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.